Welcome to the Courageous Entrepreneur Show. This is the show that shares information and inspiration to help you stand out when you hate standing out, sell your services even though you hate selling, and create the thriving, successful business you dream of and deserve. I'm your host, Winnie Anderson. The show features interviews with entrepreneurs who've overcome amazing challenges to create success on their terms and experts who share insight and practical information that can help you move forward with courage, confidence, and clarity. The show is available in both video and audio formats on a variety of platforms, including iTunes, iHeartRadio, in the Google Play Store, on YouTube, and of course on my website at winnieanderson.com. If you like what you hear, I hope you will share the show with others, and I hope you'll decide to become a fan of the show on my site at winnieanderson.com fans. When you do, you'll get episodes delivered right to your inbox, along with information, tips, and resources to help you, the introverted, mission-driven entrepreneur, consistently move forward to reach your biggest goals. All right, so building a financially abundant coaching, consulting, or other practice that's centered around your core expertise is a dream for all of us. But how do you do that? How do you make a big impact and a big income where you're paid top dollar working with fantastic clients who are committed to doing the work and playing full out? That's a pretty big topic with lots of layers to it, and it's why I'm always fascinated to talk about it with women who have done it and who continue to push themselves to maximize their revenue and to maximize the joy in their lives. Today's episode is with top executive coach Charmaine McClary. Charmaine has been running a thriving practice for decades and she built it strictly through word of mouth. She makes no secret of the fact that some people will think she's expensive, but like the commercial says, Charmaine has no problem saying I'm worth it. In addition to being an executive coach, Charmaine is a keynote speaker and leadership expert. She works with clients to have their best year ever, and 98% of her clients get promoted within 18 months. She serves on the faculty at the University of Missouri, Kansas City's Block School of Management's EMBA program, and she's a visiting lecturer at Smith College's Executive Education Program. Her company has been featured in Financial Times, Forbes, Harvard Business Review, The New York Times, and People Magazine. Listen in as Charmaine and I discuss recognizing, owning, and charging your value, why women in particular often undercharge, the question that she asks people that completely stumps them, I ask it too and have the same reaction, the one piece of advice she got when she started that helped her price her services from a place of value and to communicate that, how she became a great speaker, her executive success principles and the value of having branded content, her tips on marketing, selling, managing and growing and making a big impact while, make, while having a life you love. As always, listen all the way to the end where I'll share your cocktail exercise and action step for this episode. Charmaine, I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for being with me. My absolute pleasure and happy day to you. So let's dive right in. And one of the things that I really love about you is the clarity of your message. 
I saw your LinkedIn profile and I'm going to read the statement that you have, the positioning statement, because it is so crystal clear. As soon as I read it, it just was like ringing a bell to me. Your statement was, I help senior executives of iconic companies have their best year ever. I'm like, well, I know exactly what she does then. So were you always that clear about the work that you we're going to be doing in the world? And if not, how did you get that clarity? So I'd say a couple things. One is I always knew that I would do this kind of work. It didn't look like this back then. Okay. And I didn't necessarily even know I would work with iconic leaders. So I knew that um, this was the journey, but the clarity has come over time. And as in anything, it's sort of a, um, it's evolutionary as opposed to revolutionary. And so I've been able to fine tune that not only as I developed as a professional, but also as the marketplace changed and um, as I really found my footing in coaching because when I started, there were typing pools. When I started is that um, one more even called coaches. Right. So that's the first thing. Right. And, um, and, as we, and as coaching has evolved, uh, the clarity, uh, my clarity evolved with that. And so part of, um, so when I say that, I've always, my goal has always been to help professionals really show up to be their best selves. And when I think about leaders of iconic companies, it's really about how can they have their, not only their best year, because I say their best year ever, but it's really about how they can lead their best life. That's fantastic. It's so very holistic. Really really recognizing that this is a whole person and that as much as work and companies will tell you, you know, leave your personal life at the door. And we know that that's completely BS. I mean, there's, it's impossible for somebody to leave half of themselves at the door when they walk in. The, the best professionals, of course, deal with their personal stuff as best they can. But you're a whole person creating a whole life, not just a career. And also, I think that if a corporation asks you to leave your whole self out and only bring in your professional, it is a loss for the company Yeah, because they don't really benefit from the richness because it's really about all your life experience allows you to be who you are and to bring that compassion and the emotional intelligence so if you only bring part of yourself, the organization is getting just that, just mm -hmm. half. And if you only brought half of Winnie to work and doing what you do right now, we would be missing so much because you would be a talking head and would not have the kind of impact that you have by not bringing, you know, if you weren't able to bring all of yourself. Yeah, yeah. and I think that the, the healthiest corporate cultures really do appreciate and value the whole person in all their quirkiness and allow that to, like you're saying, to fertilize the entire environment and, and, and to really be that whole person. Because I think, I know, you know, I think back to some of the places that I've worked at and I've been very blessed to work for some really great companies. And, but those that weren't, it, you know, I think of it as almost like your soul is crying out because you are so misaligned with who that total person is and who you are from nine to five. 
Oh, absolutely. I was just having a conversation last week with the CHRO of a, of a biotech company. And one of the things that I, in this conversation, what I said um, is what your organization isn't for everyone. And it's really great when a person can find that out within their first 12 to uh, 16 months. Yeah. Like not seeing that as a negative and seeing it as a real plus because as I, it's like even in my practice, I know that what I do and how I do it isn't for everyone. So everyone shouldn't sign up to work with me. But for those that, that get me, get my philosophy, perfect. Yeah. yeah. And that um, it's really okay. I think it's, it's, not even, it's more than okay. I think um, corporations do people, a dis, do themselves and, and the culture a disservice when they don't, when they're not clear about their culture, and they're not clear about wanting to have the whole person. So if it's not a fit of saying that, not that you're a bad person, but when I think about who we are and where we're going, this doesn't seem like it's a fit. Let's find a very gracious way so that we can part ways and that each of us, particularly that person, remains whole. And I think that most, I think that many companies don't understand how to um, was it Gwyneth Paltrow? What she said, uh, conscious decoupling. Um, corporations don't know how to how to consciously decouple. Yeah, yeah. I you know I could go on about this subject for days since I'm a former recruiter. And one of what I thought was my biggest job was to help the person recognize they weren't a good fit, mm-hmm. and and to make sure that we brought in only the finest people who were the closest fit as the potential applicant and then only screened in, not screened out, screened in the best potential employees and to really have everybody in the decision process feel like they made a good decision. But I'm going forever about that's my favorite thing in the world to talk about. So you've been out on your own for quite a bit since 1990, right? Which must yeah. have been when you were about 10. So you finished grade school, went right out into self-employment, which is fabulous. So, and, and I'm sure you are incredibly proud of that process. I know it wasn't easy for you to build that business and, uh, you know, as a female, as a, as a, as a woman of color and to, to build your business as, as successfully as it has been. So let's talk a little bit about your journey in general. How did you get your start? Did you, were, you know, did you have that moment where I cannot take it another minute? Or were you, was it a mutual jettison that just said, you know what, I don't want to go back? How did you come to that conclusion that you needed to be out on your own? So it's interesting. Um, clients or people will ask me, you know, how ask me that same question. And I say that for me is that I didn't have a manifesto and, and said, oh, and this, you know, this is it. But what I did do is I've worked in corporate, um, in sales, in um, operations, in marketing. And before that, I worked in politics. So I have both sides of the fence and actually in the political. And I worked on national and local campaigns. But what I did is I always knew that I would have my own business. And I remember when I started with the last corporation, which is a, um, you know, multinational Fortune 10 company. I knew that I would probably be there not any longer than five years. And I remember a, if I go back, I remember a boss saying to me once, well, you know, it seems like you are only in places for like three, 
to five years, you know, like three years. And I said, he said, that's a problem. And I didn't even know that was a problem. I said, oh, I, I didn't know that. I said, you know, I, I come in to add value. And when, you know, I've done what I need to do, it's time for me to move on. I thought that was natural. Right. That was not, particularly during those errors. Yeah, was not. Um, so I'll say is that I was working with this or, or corporation, and what I did is I knew it was time for me to make my exit, and I didn't realize that I was one week from my fifth anniversary. <laughs> I didn't realize that because when I came, I said I would be here no more than five years, but I had forgotten that. And so what I did that night is I wrote a list of what were my strengths and what were my opportunity areas, and I went to bed and I meditated on it. And literally, I woke up the next morning and knew exactly what I would do. Now, it's, you know, again, it wasn't with that manifesto, but I knew exactly what I would do. And at that time, what I wanted to do didn't exist in corporate. You were management consultants, but it was typically brought in solely for senior level executives. And I yes. wanted to have that kind of, it's what I wanted for myself, and so I wanted to provide that. And so I began actually working with attorneys in the courtroom because I had a background in law. And so I started that in helping them, under, helping attorneys understand the jury and the judge and how my clients should speak and dress for specific audience, for specific juries. And was very successful and worked on a number of high-profile cases, actually, very high-profile cases. Great. And that... Uh, and, and because I'd worked in politics, that really helped me to understand that constituency. But I knew that I wanted to really be of service in a different way. And so I say I went in through the back door to come out the front door. And so I went in corporate, I say went into law, knowing that I wanted to work with law firms and I wanted to work with professional services. But in law firms, if you don't have a law degree, they're not necessarily wanting to always hear what you had to say. And as I would tell them, you might have a brilliant brief, but if you can't influence that jury, it doesn't make any difference. Right. So um, I was able to then, they said, law firm said, you know what, you've been really great at this. Can you help us to make rain? Because that was during the time when high tech was just beginning and law firms were saying, we're not able to get these Sun Microsystems, right, we'll get these folks as clients because these are young people wearing Birkenstocks and we don't understand them <laughs> and they're not paying us $5 million up front as a retainer and yeah. we only know how to deal with other corporations. And so what I did is I helped them on how to create rapport and relationship with high tech, which okay. became a very large part of their business. And then uh, that I just became in demand of corporations saying, would you come in and help us? I said, I'll come in and I'll help you if you want to go beyond bringing in the business and really want to help your team on how they're going to communicate with each other and how can they be successful. Because as you know, law can be quite oppressive. So how, how they're going to develop and really be able to show up as their best selves. Yeah. And um, that's actually how I began my practice. And... Um, have been doing it, as you know, for a long time, and absolutely love it because my whole premise is to help people find their voice, understand their value, their worth, and their power so that they can make a significant difference, not only for others, but most importantly to themselves. That's fantastic. I love that story. And yeah, there, back in back in that time period, that was just about the time that I got out of manufacturing and where I was for a very short period of time and uh, into hospitality. And yeah, the, 
the desire to to see what a, an organization can really be the the dream of if everybody just all worked well together and if we understood each other a little bit more is so powerful that's that's fantastic that you were able to carve that out and i think that really was when coaching was just starting to become an actual profession right it, it, yes it, so yeah yeah because yeah. i was doing it too and i'm like somebody said something about coaching I'm like i don't even know what you know, know what, what, it, what is that it's, there's right. something else into this story i just forgot and that is when i was in corporate um the uh Human Resources came to me and they said, we're going to have one of our senior female executives speak to our board of directors. And this person was pregnant. And they said, we're really quite concerned. And I said, so what are you concerned about? Well, you know, she's pregnant. And I said, okay, yes, people do that. They get pregnant. So what's the concern? They go, well, I don't, you know, I, I think our board is just not going to know how to handle that. And so what I did is I helped her in terms of her communication, how she, not only how she dressed, but what was the language that she used in that communication? And I remember them like being really uptight. And I said, "What do you think? Where do you think all of the board members came from? Somebody <laughs> was pregnant with them. They'll get over it." And so that's actually sort of how I built my reputation from the corporate world. And that's how I was able to really like take my practice out on the road because it was Excellent. again, how do I help people understand the commonality, yeah. and how do I help them to communicate in a way that particularly at that time, I would say that the board did not freak out the fact that she was pregnant. It's like you can be pregnant and think, be strategic and successful all at the same time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Boy, do I remember those days of when that kind of stuff was a genuine issue. I had somebody in an interview to ask me what in human resources what's the matter with you asked me you know well how do i know you're going to stay here you could get married and somebody could and i said yeah and you can win the lottery tomorrow yeah what what's that I, got I to do with anything you'll be shocked to hear i didn't get that job <laughs> so i think we unfortunately unfortunately we all have those kind of stories yeah. i remember when i married um i married and my colleague my peer married within weeks of each other and when I married, they asked me, was I going to remain with the company? And they wanted to give him a raise and a promotion. And I said, and I, I found this out. And so I said, so can you help me to understand why he got a raise and a promotion when he got married? And they said, well, one, your husband makes really good money, and so you don't need to have the money. And I said, thank you very much, but I take care of myself. So whether he makes money or not is not the issue. And they said, well, he's marrying someone who already, who's, who already has children and he'll need to support them and I said okay again help me to understand this but there was a question that was asked because it was not only a part of the culture and that comes up today yeah and there's a mommy track yeah and I think what's really powerful there that the average um, and maybe I'm projecting that the average woman would probably not have done is even have that conversation and say help me to understand this and stand up for herself because in corporate life we have a history of being underpaid right for similar work we know that yeah. it's statistically it's it's true and one reason why we have this is because we don't stand up and say hey i'm, I'm worth more than this this is unacceptable and present our 
our arguments intelligently in, in defense of why we deserve that money. And who are you to get involved in those kinds of decisions anyway? But I digress. So, and I think that that conditioning can carry over into when we go out on our own because now we've got to set our prices, right? And I think that there is a big, and again, maybe I'm projecting here, but I think there's a big issue around setting a price and having, and, and then that conversation in our head about, I can't charge that. I'm not, am I really worth that? I don't know that I'm worth that. And then these other people, they're greater than I am. And, and we get caught up in then undercharging, mm -hmm. under earning. And now we're stuck in that same pattern that we were trying so hard to break out of. And so did you, did you go through any of that kind of angst about what to charge and, and that am I worth it? Am I not worth it? Or were you, were you on a track that gave you that ability to confidently charge what you were, what you were worth? So let me answer that in two ways. One is I'm going to go back to your original, which was about women being underpaid, and uh, and under so which is why understanding your value is so is at the cornerstone of my work. One of the things that I like to recommend that people do is that before they leave corporate to go out on their own, that they use their corporate arena as an opportunity and, and as I'm going to say a safe space to begin to practice the principles um, and negotiation. Yeah. Practice where you are so that it is not a big surprise for you when you hit the door. Because if you aren't going to do it there, you're not going to do it for yourself outside. Such I great advice. Awesome. And so, what I say, and so what I say to people is, and, and this is my work with all of my clients, men and women, but particularly women, really understand, one of the questions I ask whenever I'm providing a talk is I always ask people, what, is your, your, what differentiates you and what's your value? And usually what I get is sort of a kind of a blank stare because one of the things that happens is, particularly for women who are, are being promoted, someone says, ah, I'm so excited, I want to promote you, you know, we're really happy to have you. We're usually so excited that someone wants to have us on their team and wants to elevate us that we don't stop and think, I am so excited about this, this is wonderful, thank you for this opportunity. Now, let's talk about what I need in order to ensure that I'm successful. Right. So looking, so backing away for a moment and looking at how many, uh, how many, the head count that you need, because if they're asking you to do it and to do it with one and a half persons, right. and you have to wear three hats, and you're you're a person who looks funny with three hats on your head because mm -hmm. you're wearing three hats when actually the team should be five. What right. resources do you need? Yeah. What allies do you need? What kind of budget do you need in your department? Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about what is your salary. Brilliant. And really looking at it in a very holistic, global way of, it's not just your base salary. What is it in terms of stock? What are the, what are the other intangibles? What do you have in terms of uh, leave? All of those things so that you can really understand what is that big picture and ask for it. Because I see more times than not where women say yes to something, and they're saying yes without having all of what's needed for them to be set up for success, yeah. which means that they continue to under-earn. So that's one of the things. And then for me, what I did in terms of uh, when I started my practice, I remember someone saying this to me, Charmaine, you do not bill from your own pocketbook. 
don't bill as you're looking in your person going, oh my God, it's not any way I would, I would pay that. <laughs> it's really looking at what is, the, what is the value to that organization, what is the value that you're bringing, and how will that enterprise be different? So in the beginning, I have to say, I didn't bill what I needed to bill. And I remember uh, one of my colleagues, Rilla Lossie, who she's left the planet, her husband um, said to us, you know, you guys are not charging enough. And I remember saying, when I feel comfortable doing it, I will. And this is what I made a promise to myself because I'm one I don't like to leave money on the table. I wrote a script for myself. I went and looked and saw what the marketplace would bear, what, was the, what were the fees that were being uh, billed, who was billing them, because I knew there was a difference between men and women, right. boutique versus larger organization. And then I just looked at the numbers. I took all personality and all of that out and I looked at the numbers. And then I wrote up a script for myself. And I required myself self, is that I always had a mirror on my desk when I was on the telephone talking so that what I saw is what the person who was listening saw. But I put the script up and I was not allowed to get off of the telephone without communicating that script and I did that script until I felt comfortable to do it without but I would write down what that dollar amount was that I was going to build and why not in, not defending myself but what was the value and I always right. like to speak to what is the value not making it personal and I ask a client is are you making a decision based on value or are you making a decision based on a dollar uh, on, on a dollar amount because if you're making a decision based on the dollar amount then really we can't have a conversation right I only think about what is the value add. And so to answer your question, as I said, no, I didn't do, I didn't bill what I needed to bill in the very beginning, but I learned very quickly. Yeah. And I really created that script because I, ma I made myself promise to not shame myself by not asking. Because when you don't ask, you don't get, as you well know. Amen my sister. And I love that strategy because it does help you. Napoleon Hill in Think and Grow Rich talks about detaching from the outcome. I had to read that book 15 stinking times before I finally understood what he was talking about. And, but that's really an element of helping you detach from the outcome. Yes. And, and I think that we have to do whatever it is we have to do, whether it's have a script, have a, a picture, do something that allows us to follow that. I did some freelance work for an agency in, in California, and the guy who was my direct report in the agency had a line that I'm like, where have you been all my life? Because I suffered from scope creep, as so many professionals will, right, when I was first doing true consulting. And I was, I, we, I had a great client who was, I, who was his account exact for this uh, firm, but I was ready to give this guy the farm because, one, I loved him, and I knew I had this need for approval, right, to have this New York Times bestselling author think I was brilliant. Oh, you know, that's fabulous. So anyway, the guy I reported to said, I'm sorry, that's outside the scope of our agreement. Brilliant. Absolutely. And I, and I think people forget that really? they want to, they, like I say, we swallow the whale. Right. They ask for a goldfish, you bill for the goldfish, but you're giving them the whale. 
well, health, and how can I distinguish between the two? And really understanding right. that it's not coming from your pocketbook, or as I say, from right. your purse. The other is that it's not personal. When I'm in negotiation, it's not personal. It's yeah. not that I'm a bad person because I'm asking that. I'm asking because this is the, this is the value. Right. Um, is it 98% of my clients promote it within 18 months of working with me? So I've got an incredible return on investment, and that I've got a track true. record to show that. And so when you understand, so once I had a couple of years under my belt, I could see what my what my value was, right. and then understanding that, I always look at what are the plain numbers. How is that enterprise different today from the day that I began that work? How is my client more successful? And the other thing as a coach for me is that I don't, uh, I typically don't go in through HR. I typically oh, don't go in through HR. I go in through the business yeah. because I like to talk to people about their business and about what, what do they see as an outcome. And so, for example, when I'm giving a talk and um, in particular, if I have a number of people that are in HR that are in the room, and people will say, but actually, I'm not responsible for, you know, I'm not responsible for money. I'm not responsible for bottom line. I said, if you're not responsible for bottom line, you're unemployed. That's right. Because everybody is. That's exactly so right. So if you have attrition in your organization, if you have loss in your organization, if you have lawsuits in your organization, how do you mitigate that loss? And if you do, that's how you begin to quantify what that value is. And that people, once they begin to understand their, their value, and what the return of investment is when they do what they do really well, that allows you to be able to speak very uh, uh, dispassionately about what it about what that what that return on investment is, and how you can come to the table shoulders back, very proud of what it is that you do because it's in black and white. It's you know the, these are the facts. This is not uh, anecdotal. Right. It's based on facts. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. I could never understand why my colleagues in human resources in other organizations that I worked in could not see the direct value between their work and the profitability and, and brand, frankly, in the marketplace of the companies that they worked for. How do you, and, and, and said, well, we're a cost center. If you, if you really believe that you don't belong to, to, you shouldn't be in HR because you're not a cost center. You're a value Absolutely. creator. You are Thank a value creator. And if you can't see that, bless your heart, you got to go. Yes. There's I don't know about you. I'm a value creator. Thank you very much. And there's one other thing that I recommend. As I said, I believe that people should, when they are in their corporation, begin to practice. I said that you can get your, your PhD in that corporation on using it as your laboratory on how to create, how to shift how you see yourself and how other people are going to see you. Because you also don't have that, once you walk out of the corporation, you don't have that Fortune 100 name. Right. You have your name. And so you want to be able to create that value proposition before you exit. Um, and again, looking at what are the numbers in terms of what that value is and being able to translate that over to your business. Right. How do you create that value proposition while you're there? I just had someone ask me last week who's thinking about going out and creating, having a coaching practice and uh, been in HR for quite some time, very smart uh, person, really quite smart. And he says, well, you know, but do I need to get a, you know, credential behind my name? Now, mind you, he is a PhD candidate and has an MBA. I said, you have enough 
you have enough right. alphabets behind your name. Yeah. I said, let's look at what's the value proposition that you bring and how have you made a difference inside organizations in HR. And that will allow you to create a narrative that's very powerful and that mm -hmm. speaks about your impact. But again, this is, this, is, this is where it's not gender specific because this is a man that's asking me this question. And again, it's, yeah. it goes both ways. I think that we're inculcated as women to say, if I ask, I'm a bad person. I don't want to make that person feel bad. Well, I feel bad if I leave the table and I've left money on the table. Mm -hmm. Now, I feel damn bad then. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think we get caught up in the whole, I don't want to be called a fill in the blank, whether it starts with a B, it starts with a C or whatever it starts with. You don't want to be called that. And you certainly don't want to be thought of as not a nice person or a team player or anything else. I think what you're really talking about here speaks to our own, you know, the whole personal branding thing, if you will. And, and I don't think enough of us think of ourselves, whether we are inside an organization or outside of an organization out on our own as the entity itself. But we really yeah. do. We, I think that that's an important thing to consider for our overall and long-term profitability, whether, whether your revenue comes from an employer or your revenue comes from clients, you need to consider the brand that you are building because premium brands command premium pricing. Absolutely, a absolutely. So one of the things that I did before I left, again, I used my organization as my laboratory. So I thought about, again, what's my value proposition and how can I make a positive change in this enterprise, this corporation, while I'm here? Because that's gonna be part of my story and thinking about what is my brand. And so, uh, again, I think that one of the questions I remember you asking me before is, what would be my advice to people that want to create a practice? And I remember when a colleague and I both left corporate about the same time, and she went in with a, um, it was a, a salon, and it was very high-end, very, very well-known, and she felt she could just hold up a shingle and that it would be enough. Well, six months later, unfortunately, she was out of business because she didn't understand that she needed to build the brand before she ever opened the business. And so mine was, you know, I took on some of the most difficult assignments my last two years in corporate. And I did that because I want to understand a P&L. I want to understand how do I create um, and, and how, do, how do I create and engage and influence people within an organization? How do I create advocates? Because if I'm going to go and help other people to do that, I need to understand how to do that. And I want to do it in an arena that's very different than how I came in. I was doing it in operations. I was wearing steel toe boots and hard hat three days a week and a suit two days a week. So I was really doing it in the field, in a field that's very different from what I might have traditionally been thought coming from. And I wanted to do it because I knew if I could do it there, I could do it when I left and went outside on my own. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to negotiate my salary, negotiate on behalf of the teams that I represented. So I did all of that internally so that I could then transfer that over to my practice and began to create a network while I was still employed. Mm -hmm. So that those persons had seen my work and then would provide recommendations for me because all of my business 
thank goodness for all of the years that I've been in business has all come from word of mouth. And I say who you how you show up. If someone goes, well, I'm just going to like coast for the next year on my job because you know it won't really matter. It will matter, mm -hmm. particularly now with social media. It will definitely matter. Who is singing your praise? I, I created a process called Executive Success Principles, and I ask senior level executives and CEOs why were they more successful than other people. And they said, it's not Charmaine, it's because I know so much more. It's about how I communicate that information. And these six principles are, the first is communicate the vision, because leaders communicate a vision. They don't communicate a task, they communicate a vision. Mm -hmm. And how they do that is by speaking in headlines, really seducing the eye and the ear of, the, of your audience. Who are they? What do they need to hear? How do they need to hear it? The three must make points. I say the three questions that every audience has, why should I listen? What's in it for me, and what do you want me to do about it? Just like your audience. Okay. And the fourth is, is about creating witnesses. I say hard work without a witness is simply hard work, and who needs that? So who are the advocates that you've created, and who are the people that are speaking about you when you're not in the room? Because when you have your own business, that is critical, yeah. absolutely critical. And then the other one is don't audition for the part. Simply be the part. And if you're going to start your business, you cannot audition for this. You've got to show up because you are that corporation. You are that entity. And the very last one is don't. The very last one is really embodying your message, making sure that you're walking, talking, and acting the part. And so I think that it's really important that for persons that are thinking about leaving corporate and going out on their own, that they really begin to show up, really begin to understand their value, and understand how to communicate that inside. Because when you come outside, the world is, is it's going to be a, a real wake-up call. Yeah, it is. It, it really is. And I, I think that the, as I listen to you and your information is so powerful and I understand why you are such a popular and, and powerful speaker, it, it, there's this issue that I've seen and I've experienced it myself where you leave corporate life or whatever organization you work for and suddenly like your friend who thought well maybe I need to get another credential you suddenly think that for some reason your past experience doesn't matter it's it come on yeah, I, I think of that, and I went through this, that period too. I have enough degrees for, uh, to, I have more degrees in the thermometer, and enough, uh, and I have the entire alphabet after my name. And that is just an attempt to soothe yourself and prove that you're smart to yourself. There's not a darn person, actually one person, when I was an SPHR, I had my, my SPHR for, I don't know, 12, 15 years or something like that before I just let it go because all I'm doing is paying to maintain something that nobody ever even asked me what are these initials about and only one person ever said anything about that because he was one too. Most people I don't care. It's just, it's a, you know, yeah, yeah. don't care. You know, and when you say that, I think there's a couple of things with that. One, you have to understand and know who your audience is, meaning who do you want as your client? Because to that client, it might really mean something. Yes. But if that's not your client, then that's not something that's necessary. It's, right. it's interesting. It was two years ago because I am I'm now a PCC. But for but but I'll, I'll say if I'm being absolutely transparent, um, I did it not because I wanted to have PCC behind my name. It's because I wanted to create a community of people that I felt that were really extraordinary that I could leverage awesome. in mm -hmm. terms of being a resource. 
I'm a resource to them, they're a resource to me. So I did it in a program where we were all, um, all persons who've been practicing for at least 10 to 15 years. We came from all over the globe and it was an accelerator program, and, but that was my reason for going. It wasn't so that I could get, really, because I could get the initials. The initials are nice, but it really all depends on who your client is. I've been in practice for, as you know, quite some time, and I have only had two persons in my entire career ask me about credentialing, and it all happened. So one is a client of mine who's a CEO, and she said, you know, Charmaine, I'm, I'm curious. She said, I was thinking about possibly doing coaching when I retire. And um, uh, has anybody ever asked you if you have um, a designation? And I said, you're the first. I said, and when you hired me to be your coach and, you know, their stock increased over 400%, I said, did you ask me whether or not I, had, I was a certified coach? And she says, no. I said, did it matter to you? She said, no. Now, again, you have to understand who your audience is right. because for my clients, that has not been what they're concerned about the results. The other thing is, is that, um, you, again, you, you might be in a position where that means everything to them. Right. So the other person who asked me the question said, Charmaine, are you certified? And that was a year ago. And I said, no. I'm, no, a year and a half ago, I said, no, I'm not. I said, I said, I said, I am certified, if you mean, 27 years of experience working with CEO, you know, the whole spiel. Right. And then I thought about it, and I said, oh, my God, I am. I said, I'm in the middle of a program right now. Now, what was funny is that the person who trained her is the person who I was being trained by, and the person I was trained by, I think, is magnificent. Awesome. Damon, he's just, like, incredible. But so it all depends on the organization, on whether or not those credentials, on whether or not that means anything. And really, my thing is, is that what is the value proposition that you bring first? Because those credentials don't, right. they have some value. They do have value. Yeah. It's just whether or not it's a value to your client. Yeah, I think that's really, really well said. And I think that the question we have to ask ourselves individually is that, who is this of value for? And am I doing this to make myself feel better and, and to distract me from getting out there and really communicating my value in a different way? Am I hoping that that will do the selling for me, which I think is part of the subtext there a, a lot of times. Can, let's, let's take a side road here for a little bit yeah. and, and because speaking effectively, I think, is such a powerful skill. Communication in general, I think, is a, is a losing, you know, skill, uh, a dwindling skill. Let's talk about how you became an effective communicator and effective speaker, because you do speak and, and run workshops, right, for, uh, for, for folks. So can you talk a little bit about how you have cultivated that ability to speak both you know, individually in an interview and, and speak in front of dozens and hundreds of people and, and, and how did you cultivate that ability? And, and how important do you think that is? So a couple things. One is that in every job description, there's one common denominator, excellent communication skills, whether it's the janitor, it doesn't matter. That's the number one skill that is, that is really requested. Now, what that means to an organization is different, but that's the one that's requested. And if communication can make significant difference in terms of your ability to be effective, regardless of anything else that you bring to the table, 
So it's essential. For me, I've been speaking in front of groups since I was probably in the second grade. Yeah. So I've been doing it all my life. Mm -hmm. it's, it fascinates me. And it is how I create connection. So for me, it is the most powerful for my ability to, um, to communicate and to help other people communicate. Also for me, is finding my voice in my family. Finding my voice was essential mm -hmm. to my ability to survive and to thrive. So, you know, for me, it comes from here in terms of communication. But it is the number one. If you if you are if you have difficulty in communication, it will be a barrier to one's success throughout your entire life. I agree. Whether it be in a relationship or be in an organization, and particularly if you are a solo practitioner, because you do not have a marketing department behind you. Right. If you're a solo practitioner. So it is essential. And what, I've all, what, I, what I recommend, which is part of this, my same principle about negotiation in salary, is really looking at a couple of things. One, look at what it is that you do really well and what you don't do well. If communication is an area that one does not do well, looking at who are the persons that you admire and respect that are excellent communicators. What language do they use? How do they carry themselves? How do they use that language? And how do they communicate? Why do people listen to them versus listening to, to not listening to other folks? Like, what, what does that look like? And then signing up for classes or seminars so that you can really hone that skill because it is a skill. I always say that if everyone were a top communicator, you know, it would be like an airborne disease. <laughs> it would be going through the osmosis. It's not. Yeah. It is just that it's a skill. Right. Practice. I practiced in front of a mirror, as I said, with my script. I would practice in front of that mirror so that I knew that I, so that was sounding confident and I was sounding self-assured about what it was that I wanted to say. And people, we make the mistake as human beings of it'll just happen. Excuse me, but happens, but that's not what you want. It really requires diligence and it requires practice and commitment. Yeah. Yeah. And it Amen. doesn't happen overnight. My clients that are CEOs are speaking to chairman of the board that are speaking to large groups is because I require, and we work on practicing on that. So if you are going to have a major negotiation, is getting on a Skype call and working with someone else, it could even be a peer or a friend, so that you become comfortable and that you're able to wear that. But communication, as I said, I've been doing it all my life. And... I created these principles because these principles really can make the difference. I know make the difference in terms of people's ability to be successful in their communication. Because if you, whether you're a consultant or you're internal, you, leaders communicate the vision. If there is a vision, I know where we are going. I know we're going to Kansas as opposed to getting in the car, going to the stop sign, filling up the car with gas or plugging it in because it's electric. But because that's taking people steps along the way, but we don't know where there is. And when you know where there is, that increases your ability to influence, to engage people. So it's really about communicating, again, the vision and understanding what is it that that audience needs to hear and how do they need to see it. So I always ask an audience, how do you, how do you want me to communicate with you? 
like some people like it in writing. Mm -hmm. And if that's your strength, then that's how you communicate with that person. So really understanding those components. My ESP, as I said, are really is the, the, the cornerstone of my work because it has proven to be enormously successful, help people be enormously successful. Yeah, that's great. And yeah, I, I think that, again, we, we don't take advantage of the opportunities to hone our skill, throw all kinds of judgment and emotional baggage on that, and, and recognize that it's not a gift. I mean, yes, I, I do believe that there are seeds that we've all been given some are bigger than others for some people and their opportunities and and yes you and i were given those opportunities at a very early age obviously and then positive reinforcement makes you want to do it more and you're given more opportunities because you take advantage of those opportunities but that shows the skill development so yeah. and 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 i feel badly for people i've actually had people that i've i've in, talked to or wanted to talk to about being on the show who said no and one of the reasons why they said no was because that they were terrified of being on the show and you know i i tell people i will make this as enjoyable a process as you as it can possibly be for you i will help you i've spent for it, I, I for one guest i spent eight hours helping her prep i mean it was exhausting I won't do that again, but take every opportunity you have to communicate your message because yes. you get better in communicating it every time you start thinking, oh, that's a better word for saying that. That's it. And, and I think that's also part of what helps you, just like you have the, these, this branded process that you take people through, this methodology. I think that helps us all develop our own branded content that supports that building of that premium brand that makes your information more accessible, helps people go, I recognize that, I want that. And they, I think it also goes to them feeling more confident about working with someone who has this branded process and branded content can speak about it so clearly and yeah. help me go, yeah, I want some of that. So something else yeah. I want to say is that it's sort of like the people that I work with. I will tell people, I will work with you only if you're ready for change. If you are not ready for change, I do not want, it is a waste of your time, money, and it's a waste of my time. I only want to work with people that are ready to make the shift. And when something is painful enough, we'll either decide that we'll like to sit on the kernel or we want to move off of it. And so. If we're concerned about looking foolish, you will. At, there will be times when you look foolish. There's times that I know that I look foolish. <laughs> but I'm not going to die from that. And that's how I look at it. I'm willing to take the risk because I know that the alternative is to sit in this unappealing, yicky place. And if that place is a place I don't want to be, then I need to have the courage to be able to make that leap. Now, we each make that decision for ourselves, but it really is about do you want to make the shift? And if you want to make the shift and one is going to go out on their own or they want something different in corporate, that's why I say first understand what is your value. And when you understand that, what else do you need so that you can really show up as your best self? 
and be prepared to take the leap. If you don't want to take the leap, there's no bad, there's no wrong, there's no, you know, you're not a bad person. Right. It's just know that where you are is where you will be. And don't get pissed off at anybody else right. because they're moving beyond that. Right. right. It's a choice that we make for ourselves. And so with communication, if I have to always look perfect, then I would never get out of bed. I had a coach, brilliant coach, Alan Wise, which many people yep. know of. Mm-hmm. And I got him as a coach because I always said I want the best. I like to know what the best looks like so I know what to aspire. And he says 80% press the send button because I'm a recovering perfectionist. I want it to be perfect. Yep. Perfection equals failure because there isn't anything that's perfect. Right. I can strive for my very best. And I think that that's something that people need to understand and to know. The other thing I believe in doing is writing down what are your wins? What are the things that you're doing right and the things that you're doing well? Because that helps to give you the courage and the confidence to be able to try more. But if we always want something to be safe, safe is so unpleasant. Safe is just... I know. It's just so middle of the road. And it's a choice. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's bad. Mm-hmm. For me, safe uh, means I'm not growing. I'm not being curious. And so if you're really right. curious and you want something more and something different, we've got to show up to be something more and different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I ask people to ask themselves, are you serious about playing to win or are you at a point where you're just playing not to lose? And I can respect Brilliant. That. I can respect that, that you're at a point where this is too frightening and I'm just not ready to take that next step and maybe take a dip while I build up again. And that's really what, for me, it comes down to playing to win versus play not, you know, playing not to lose. And it doesn't mean that you're going to put it all on black and you're going to win a bazillion dollars. And that's, that's not necessarily what playing to win means. Playing to win means that you you had a 5% improvement over something that you did last week. That's playing to win, too. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I could go on for days, obviously. We have so much uh, in common in our, our mindset. I want to get your thoughts, though, on these eight strategic actions that I believe that all of us as entrepreneurs need to take and need to manage our priorities around. So let's start with marketing. As you were growing your business, how were you able to balance marketing yourself? And I know you mentioned that everything came from word of mouth, but how are you able to marketing to generate new business versus the balancing of fulfilling the work that you were getting? How were you able to do that? That's a fine line, and it's a fine line for me all the time. Because if you are marketing, you are not, well, I I was going to say if you're marketing, you're not delivering. Right. But in fact, that's not true. Because if I'm delivering, I'm marketing. I believe so too, My results are going to speak. And so I think we need to look at every time one speaks, every time you're in front of someone, whether it be in your your, your community and your church, and that that is an opportunity to market without saying, oh, I'm Charmaine McCleary and this is what I do for a living. But how you show up speaks right. volumes about who you are and what it is you do. Because I'm a believer that what you do here is what you're going to do over there. And so if that is congruent, 
that's what matters. It doesn't mean it has to be perfect, but that means that it, that congruency allows you to be able to market. So the good news is that marketing was always something that, came, that I loved. And I have a couple things. One is um, I didn't know my business was supposed to fail. And my father, he pointed out to me on year two, he said, my God, you're still in business. And I said, okay, yeah, big deal. He goes, you know you were supposed to fail. And I go, never entered my mind. And it did. It never entered my mind. Awesome. Second thing is that um, as a young person on my 21st birthday, my father was uh, uh, in sales uh, executive. And he went through the IBM um, training program. Okay. And so for my 21st birthday, he gave me, I think it was a volume set of like 21 cassettes from that training program. And then we would have conversations about it. So um, that was a gift. And I didn't understand it was a yeah. gift at that time. Yeah. So understanding that. And, but again, I think understanding that every time you have an opportunity to be in someone, it's an opportunity to market. And some people go, oh, but that seems phony. If you're being you and you're being your best you, that's not phony. That's who you are. Yeah. And then also understanding if what you don't know, decide what your budget is and have someone help you based on that budget. Mm-hmm. But there are a number of ways, and speaking is a wonderful opportunity in which to market. Right. But if you're, doing, if you're delivering great work, that is a marketing tool. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'm so happy that you, that you brought that out because you're right. If, if you're uncomfortable saying, hi, my name's Winnie and I do this, then be fabulous at what you do and let that work truly speak for you and let your, your, the folks you serve say, she's so fabulous. You absolutely have to work with her. That's, so that, yeah, that's fantastic. So that feeds into, of course, selling. And there's so much baggage around sales and selling. I think you've done a fantastic job, though, about talking about how we're really always selling ourselves and how you can, you want to think about these sub pieces that you're negotiating and not, you know, the whole goldfish versus the whale thing that you alluded to. So, but we tell ourselves so many stories around this issue of sales and selling in our effort not to be that guy, right? Because we've all had that guy that were that, that woman who has pressured us or we felt pressured. So we, can you talk about any, did you experience any kind of struggles in your initial uh, sales process as you started to sell yourself? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. mean you didn't just wa- listen to all those tapes and you were perfect? I did. So I, so I, um, what I had to figure out is how to do the, fin- the, the finesse between the actual ask because I can, yeah. I can make an ask easily. Okay. But I needed to have, I, the, the ask needed to be gracious, <laughs> graceful. Yeah. To say, needed to be graceful. Yeah. There, there's something else I was going to say about selling as we talked about marketing. So one of the things that I ask my clients is that while we're in the middle of doing our work, and I, I do it in the middle of our work, is I ask them, you know, one, how is this working? What's different? Like, would they, if, if you know, if there's someone that you know that would really benefit from this, and I want you to think about who that might be. One of the things I ask my clients to do is to make a referral. And I always ask them that when you make the referral, I said, now I want to ask you to do something. I said, when you make that referral, if you're comfortable doing that, I want you to make it to someone that first really does have a need for my services. 
Uh, I also say someone who has an ability to pay because I don't work for food. Right. I'm real clear about that. And the third is I want it to be someone that when they hear your name, it's an E.F. Hutton moment. And for yeah. those of you who are younger than E.F. Hutton, that when they <laughs> hear your name, that they go, oh, my God, Winnie. Yeah. Because if it's not an E.F. Hutton moment, it just goes right, you know, it, it just goes sideways. So I want it to be someone that I want them to identify someone that respects their, um, their recommendation. Yes. Yep. And has, is discerning. So yeah. I get those qualifications so that it makes it easy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really excellent. So, and of course, we love to do that thing we do, right? We love to do it. Um, any secrets to jug juggling service delivery with everything else that you have to manage <laughs> when you're growing? <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Managing a growing business. Okay, I love this because... So I hire, So I had an assistant. Uh, this is an assistant probably five years ago, and uh, loved Mariana. And she said uh, one day she goes, "Who did this before?" Like you know all the various things. I said, "Me." She goes, "I can barely." I said, "Chief Cook Bottle Washer." So it's a it's a if you are on your own, it's a juggling act. And I think that with the beauty now is that you can have a virtual assistant. Like they're they're persons. Like looking at what do you need most and who has the expertise to be able to do that effortlessly and easily so that you can do more of what it is that you love to do. And I think that there's that balancing act of, oh, my God, can I really afford it? And there's some things you have to say, can I afford not to bring someone on to do that? I agree. Yeah, Mike Michalowicz, the fabulous uh, Jersey guy who is also the author of so many great business bestsellers, including the classic Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. He uh, told me, and when I interviewed him, that you must, if you, especially if you're going to build an expert brand, you must get help. He said, I understand that you don't want to manage any more people since you left corporate life, but you must get help at some point as fast mm -hmm. as you can to truly build an expertise-based business. It's, it's a requirement. It's so right because yeah. what happens is, is if you're handling everything, so it's one of the same things that I say to executives, particularly women who might say, you know, um, I want to be all over everything. Well, if you can't delegate, if you can't hand things off to people that you know that do what they do really well, you will always be the person sitting behind that desk right. doing what you do because, because, pe because the people of influence and decision-making decision will think that person is really good at that and that's all they can do because you're never able to branch out and really have them see your, uh, to the extent of how you can really shift the organization, how you can add value because right. you are trying to micromanage. And if you micromanage, you have a really a dead end right. in your career. Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. And yet that, I know that as much as I, we all know how frustrating it is to manage people. And, and I had the biggest, department within my division, but it was because of that that I was given the opportunities that I was given to do impactful yes. things. 
Yeah. And yes, there were times when I wanted to stick a pencil in my eye or in one of their eyes. But that, you know, that's as my my former VP used to say, if it was easy, everybody would do it and they're not. And that's Absolutely. why you are. So yeah, it's, it's part of what goes with the territory. And, and yeah, if you want the big opportunities, you have to get help. You have to get help and you, you have do. to help them be successful. You know, you have to exactly. set them up for success. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think that there is also one other layer on that is that when you are an entrepreneur, you, I think it's a requirement to have people on your team, and I mean like an advisory committee, that are pushing you because it is very easy to get to what is what we talk about, that safe space, and not move beyond that. Because in order for you to really be relevant, and to really be adding value to your client, you have got to push yourself beyond your comfort zone. Yeah. And it's very easy when the business is fat and happy and you go, oh, my gosh, it's all working just so beautifully. This is a well-oiled machine, and I'm going to stay just like that. And then all of a sudden you look, and everybody is passing you because you're no longer relevant because you have not upped your game. Right. You so played, I have an advisory board. Yeah, because you played not to lose. And, and yeah, I agree with you. So I think that that, and that's one of the things that I think can be painful about growth. When you are with peers that, for whatever reason, are not growing or they are becoming so frustrated that they're ready to throw in the towel or you need to be with a group of people who are always going to challenge and inspire you from a place yes. of love, right? Obviously not people who are mean yeah. and cruel. If I wanted that, I would go get a job again. But, you know, from people who truly want to see you achieve your greatest and to make the mark that you were meant to make. And that comes from people who push you with love and who, who come yeah. on, I know you can be better than that. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I'm going to say this to, 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 create a balance is that in corporate I think that corporate America, I think that working in a corporation could be just just extraordinary it can be and yes. I think that because part of what I do even with my clients that are in corporate is how can you be your best where you are and if you want something different how do you need to show up so that you can have that opportunity one of the things I think is the same in corporate in terms of having that being a, an independent contractor have being a consultant is I had a client that never hired people that were smarter than her. And I said, if you continue to, you know, I want people that are nipping at my, I want to, I'm, I don't like Pomeranians. I love dogs. I don't like Pomeranians. <laughs> so forgive me for those of you who love them. But you need to have like little Pomeranians uh -huh. nipping at your ankles. Yes. You want to have people in your life that are saying, Charmaine, that was really good three years ago. That's great. Now what's next? wonderful I'm so happy for you yeah uh-huh what's next yeah and if we don't have that uh, you've got to really create the infrastructure around you so that you have that push yeah and if you're in corporate to have that push I want people I always tell I want to hire everybody that works with me is smarter than I am what is it they do they do it really really well and I am so grateful mm-hmm exactly right uh, because I always saw it as look how smart I am I hired that person that's right yay me 
<laughs> and and really that's how that's part of also building yourself as well we know that that people who have an eye for talent and people who are then able to cultivate them isn't that what your job is i mean i remember when uh, early on in my career with uh the casino hotel i worked at i i had uh the the ceo who was the son of the the founder of the business speak mm -hmm. at a, a training program that i was teaching and and he this has stayed with me for decades. He said, I'll tell you the most important job that you have as new supervisors. He said, it's to develop the people who work for you. He said, if you're not doing that, you're not contributing to this organization. He said, so your job, getting your job done is not enough, frankly. I expect you, and this company needs you, to grow the next generation of leaders because we can't grow unless you do. And I yes. thought, yes. God, is that not, first of all, it's refreshing, but it's not, if that's not the most brilliant thing I've ever heard a, a leader say, and that's exactly it. Talk about a vision. That's a very clear statement of, I'm taking this business places and you people better get on the bus and, and develop yourselves and those who, who are working for you. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. great. You know, I love that, back to your branded solution, I, I love that, that it's so clear and it's simple to understand but powerful. How important do you think it is for, for each of us to at some point have a branded solution? And of course, I'm talking to those people who are really ready to step up to be that thought leader in their space and really who are not content to just be one of millions. I think that is that um, your relevance to remain relevant and to it's also part of your marketing. Yeah. Having a branded process methodology is so important. And I'll I'll say for myself, in the beginning, I didn't really understand that, and I thought that I had to like go away and come up with this like wizardry of an idea. Right. And the truth is that we all have it within us is that because we might do something very easily and very naturally, we, don't, we may not value it and see it as a branded process or a methodology. And so I always ask people, if you step back for a moment and you look at what it is that you do effortlessly, like effortlessly, you do it so well and so easily, what is that? And what are the steps to your doing it? Right. That's your process. And we think of it as being this complicated thing. I've got to have a PhD in order to come up with this. And, I, and, and then if you look at that process, now look at how frequently do you ask your clients or your colleagues to do that? Like how many times do you give them, like you realize that, oh, for the last 10 clients, I've had them all do this one thing that is the same. And these are the results that I've got. That is the process. Yeah. So uh, it's, and, it's, it's important because it can speak for you, to you, right, right. for your clients. Yeah. It's great. It's easy for them to understand. It's, it's just, it gives you a commodity without commoditizing yourself. It just, yeah. I, I think of it as a kind of the gift that you give to, to them to help them understand. And yes, it, it's part of your marketing. It makes it so much easier to, to get your message out there. Absolutely. So, and, Managing, 
you know, obviously it's a mighty big part of building our businesses. Can you talk about if there was one thing or one mistake that you think entrepreneurs make when it comes to managing their business itself? Can you? It's so funny. Can you? I'm, thinking, it, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking about one major pain point. Yes. Yeah. One major pain point. I'll say this from, from I'm going to say, a, I'm going to make this one personal to me. Mm-hmm. And that is, I am very big picture. It's the way I've always been, I'm very big picture. So one thing that I know for me is that in hiring someone who's going to be really close and critical to my business, either the office manager or even the assistant, but people that are going to be working within that framework, I am not the best person to make that selection. And I learned that the hard way. And so for me is that I learned that I needed to hire someone who could make that hire for me that really understands my philosophy, understands what's important to me, and, and make sure that that person is vetted based on not only what I do well, but what I don't do well and how I need to be supported. And so in the managing, is I, my belief is that you understand, it's really important to understand what are the components that are most important in your business. Hire the best to do that. Make sure that everybody understands your philosophy and how each of, each of their roles are intertwined. Yes. That they, that they, it's a requirement, that they are dependent upon each other, supporting and pushing each other to deliver the best. And I know that for me, in making that kind of selection, I'm, I, I learned the really hard way that in that kind of management, I have to have someone who's a partner to me to help me to identify the talent so then we can run smoothly. And who even does some of my training? That is not my wheelhouse, not my wheelhouse <laughs> for management. I have to say, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not the best on that one, so that's how I do it, is really having yeah. a partner to help me to augment yeah. in that way. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, and you know what? I applaud you for being able to recognize that about yourself and admit that and get the help that you need. So yay you. So next is growing. And of course, you know, as we grow a, a, our business, we're growing as people as well as professionals and as business owners. So is, is there any one area that you feel female entrepreneurs should, you know, and I know we're speaking generally here, but could use a little bit of extra focus as they grow their business? I, I would say it would be actually in two areas and, and, this works for women, and it's also not gender specific, but particularly for, but for women, I would say is, one, understand, do you want, like, if life could be just the way that you want it, what would your business look like? Yeah. If it could be just the way that you wanted it to be, what would that look like? Mm-hmm. And get really honest about what that is. So maybe you don't want to manage people. Well, then you need to know that so that you know what that structure can look like. Um, and then that means how much business you bring in. So you need to bring in business that can support that model. Because I think that what can happen is that you can grow your business really, you can, you can, you know, because the sky's the limit, but you're growing it so that it's working toward a model that's not your model. And then you have to make the decision on, is this, is this model still working for me? 
Right. Or do I need to refer this part of the business to someone else? Right. Because that's really not where I want to be. And so I think that you've got a there's a, a constant um, balancing act mm -hmm. in terms of growth. Yeah. Um, I look at there's only one of there's one of me. So for example, next year I'm launching Charmaine Circles, where I will have consultants that will that will work in various regions around the country. I cr I've created the the process and the, but knowing that I also want to have um, knowing how to bring people in so that I'm not managing. Yeah. Uh huh. Yep. But so that's so that's the thing I think is important. And yeah. then looking at if I grow my business a certain way, do I have the infrastructure to support it? Because if not, you'll have egg in your face. Yeah, yeah, and I'm so happy that you mentioned that issue of model because I think that, first of all, we get to make the rules so we can create a hybrid model and we can take pieces of this and pieces of that and construct something that we really do want, but to make sure that we're building something that continuously brings us joy and is not a drag and which in my opinion lowers our profitability I don't care how much you charge if it's not bringing you joy then it's not profitable yeah. because that happiness is part of the profitability number in my opinion so that's absolutely awesome, awesome. And, and I, I think that when you say that also it's also about how to care and live Mm -hmm. Because, yes. as you said, I don't care how large the dollar amount is, but if I don't, if I'm not living my best life, which is not all solely defined by my business, what does that look like? How much time do I have for myself? How much time do I have for my family? So I tell people, if I'm not in front of you, I, I can find some things to do for myself, <laughs> with myself, by myself, <laughs> really happy. So really knowing that it's an, it's, I say it's a consensual relationship. Yeah. That what you're doing is really bringing you joy because then that person gets to experience the joy that you are bringing. Yeah, I, I agree. Life is, is, is just too short to not spend it as happy as possible every single day and, and minute. So as entrepreneurs, I think a lot of what we've been talking about is, is related to leading and Certainly, we're leaders to our clients, we're leaders in our industry, um, and leaders to the team of folks that we work directly with, or even those that we consider on our, on our team loosely as we refer to them. Yeah. What, what do you do, or what do you wish you did more of to position yourself as a clear leader in your industry segment? That's an excellent question, and I have to say, Winnie, I don't know if I have an answer to that one okay. right now. I um, am at a critical juncture right now in my business, and I have been asked to take a role that would be a leadership role, and I really am in the middle of deciding whether or not that really works Mm -hmm. with who I am and it works with my life. Yeah. And my thing is, is that there are ways to lead, for me, my philosophy is there are ways to lead at all times. Like I said, we lead often and always. Yes. Without being at the head of something. Mm -hmm. Or being as a, uh, a leadership role in an, in an organization. Yeah, yeah. So 
Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think that's, that's brilliant to, to say and to acknowledge. And I think that that's something else that we need to consider as we grow and build our business. It's not always up. You know, it, sometimes it's out as we look at replicating ourselves and sharing our knowledge with others who want to apply it to their work as well. So there are so many different ways of leading and, and sometimes we get stuck in what only what we've seen when really we have an opportunity to create the rules ourselves and create this new way of, of doing things. So last but by no means least is living, right? We're building this business because we want to have a life as well. And I know I work for the meanest boss I've ever had by myself, which is why I'm working on a holiday and you are too, and I'm happy for that. But what's one of the best practices that you can share to make sure that you're really building a life in addition to building a business? Okay, so I'm going to answer your last question. One, one quick thing on that is that one of the things I do is I gift my services to a nonprofit or an emerging business every year. That's nice. So I feel that that's my way of leading and also giving back. Awesome. I look at organizations and I go, okay, you have me for a year. And if that will eventually be an emerging business in an mm -hmm. industry or in a sector, that's going to make a difference because one of my objectives is to change the face of corporate America so there are more women and more people of color on board That's and in the last five years I have four clients who've been who've been nominated to corporate boards publicly so I'm I'm really pleased about that because that is really important to me in terms of how I can lead living um, we share this in common fortunately or unfortunately I've had medical challenges and whenever I have one, and, and uh, when I had neurosurgery, one of the things that happened when, it was, when I came out of that is I always ask myself, am I enjoying this? Because my temperament of putting up with BS becomes shorter and shorter whenever I have a health challenge. And so mine is, I'm only going to do it if I'm really enjoying it. Mm -hmm. So there's certain clients that I eliminate. Mm -hmm. There are the clients I might bring on. But I get very, very clear about that because I want, because I am, they, some say work to live and live to work. What I do is really important to me. Mm -hmm. And I would do it for free. Actually, I do by gifting it, but all corporations know that I'm going to bill you. <laughs> and a lot. Um, as I tell them, I'm very expensive and worth it. <laughs> But living is so important because I believe that life is short and then we die. I don't know what comes next, but how I show up every day is important. So if this work is not feeding my soul, I need to either change my diet or go someplace else. Yeah. I believe in taking time out. For example, next year I'm taking a month-long sabbatical. I'm going to go live in Paris for a month. I did it uh, at a major birthday some years ago. I took almost a year off in my business. Yeah. And so... Um, one of the things that I do is I believe in, I like to wake up. So one of the things I do when I wake up in the morning is I give gratitude and I read about death. So gratitude for what, for opening my eyes and what's, what are the, what are the blessings in my life? And when I say dealing with death is I read the obituary every morning of the New York Times to see who left the planet 
and how did that person change my life that I may not even know about? Because I feel that we have a living legacy. When I'm gone, hell, who cares? <laughs> it's what have I done every day to make it worthwhile, not only for me, but for other people, for my family. And so as my husband, one of my friends says, Sherman, you know, you work really hard. And you, she says, I've actually never known you to not work hard. I said, okay, I hear you. That was kind of a wake-up call for me because my thing is, is like, okay, then I want you to also do more living. And so one of the things for me is being able to take time off. And I like to take off 10 weeks out of a year. And I've begun to do that, or say, again. But I didn't do that for about four, four years. We were building a house. <laughs> I couldn't do it. We are building a house from the ground up. But really taking that time out so that I have time for myself to replenish my soul, um, to get in touch with my feelings, to get in touch with my purpose and my passion. And because when, as I do that, I'm able to give more of myself in just my everyday beingness. And I believe that, you know, our calling is to be bold, to be bodacious, to be a badass. And how I can do that every day is if I am, in fact, living and uh, trying to be a gift to humanity. And you obviously are. I just adore the time that we've spent together. I could go on for hours, but people will be happy to know we won't. Um, sorry, please share just exactly what it is that you do with folks and who you do work with and how we can learn more about you and keep in touch with you. Okay. Um, as I say, if I'm on an airplane, I say I work with, I help smart people get promoted and communicate the big picture and communicate to the world. And so there's only one kind of person I work with. I work with people that are smart. And when I work with them, they get promoted and they communicate the big picture. Excellent. What I like to do is really help people find their voice. And as they find their voice, they're going to create their self-narrative. So how do they see themselves? How do other people see them? How do they want to be seen? Mm -hmm. And then how to bridge that gap? So that when they show up, they really are showing up as their best selves. And that they're showing up with confidence because they understand their value, they understand their, their worth. Because when they do that, it's sort of like the Nelson Mandela quote. When they do that, they give them, not only themselves, but they give others permission to show up as their best selves. You know, hiding, uh, being a well-kept secret does not does not serve anyone. It doesn't serve your organization. They get cheated. It doesn't serve the world. So who you are and what that is, my, I see my role is helping my client to un, uncover that as being their thought partner, as being their external, um, just that partner, mm -hmm. so they can, again, just show up as their best self. And how I, one of the ways I do that is not only their self-discovery, but also with my executive success principles. Those six principles are the cornerstone of my work, um, and they work. But they work, as I tell people, they work with practice. Because none of this is through a pill, because otherwise I'd be retired south of France, legs up, <laughs> on a chaise lounge. It requires practice and diligence. And if you're willing to make that kind of commitment, my work, what I do, and who I am, I'm happy to partner with someone to do just that. 
to show up, um, speak up, and to be heard. That's outstanding. And you certainly do that effectively. What a joy you have been to talk to. And uh, I, I know that this is going to be a keeper of an episode that people are going to want to watch and listen to again and again, because this has been such great value, uh, such great information that you shared. Thank you so much for being the blessing that you are. And we'll have links to find Charmaine uh, online to her website and, and all of the places that you can check her out. Thank you so very much for being with me today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. All right, I hope you enjoyed that. Charmaine is just brilliant and was a joy to talk with. I thought the tips she shared were just outstanding. If you like this episode, please share it with your connections. Please leave a great review for it on the platform where you consumed it. And be sure to subscribe, either on that specific platform like iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, or you can subscribe to the video version on my YouTube channel. But when you subscribe on my website at winnieanderson.com slash fans, you'll get episodes emailed to you each week along with the corresponding worksheet for that episode. You can also find each worksheet in the show notes for that episode on my website. In addition to the episodes, you'll get information, tips, and resources to help you come out of hiding, get your message out in a more powerful way, and achieve your business goals so you can profit from your expertise. All right, so your cocktail exercise. Otherwise known as a reflection exercise, no alcohol needs to be involved, don't overindulge, don't drink and drive. All right, so your reflection exercise is to think about your value. Are you effectively communicating it? Are you getting a lot of pushback about your pricing? If so, that might mean that you're not communicating the value of your work effectively or clearly. It could also mean that you're not talking to the right people or your price is just truly out of alignment with what the market will bear or that you haven't done a good job of demonstrating your value and building your authority. My money is that's really where that that is. All right. So think about that. That's your cocktail exercise and your action step. Like most of these, of course, it's technically more than one step, but you get the idea. Okay, so the first thing that you're going to do is to work on your value statement. This is a clear statement of what you do and who you do it for. It needs to communicate true value, meaning a desirable outcome that's connected to your work. You can also create an impact statement. This is slightly different from a value statement in that it can, includes a true statement of your impact on your clients. So you could do something like Charmaine and make a statement that says, you know, the average benefit that the average client will get is X, right? You can also use a recent example of a highly desired outcome that you worked on with a client and you helped them achieve. I strongly recommend, though, that you get some practice in saying it so that it doesn't come out like, you know, you're just repeating something that you've memorized, which is exactly what you've done. You want to make sure that you get a colleague, a friend, an accountability partner, your coach, somebody to practice with and give you feedback on how you came across as you delivered it. You don't want to sound, like I said, you don't want to sound like you're just reciting something that you've memorized that somebody's told you to memorize. Don't think about this as a 30-second as a commercial or as an elevator pitch. Nobody wants to be pitched to. 
nobody wants to hear a commercial. What do we do when we hear commercials? Change the channel, right? You don't want that to happen. So you want to structure this in a way that communicates your value very clearly, but does so in a real conversational style and that in, you know, inspires in the right people a deeper conversation. Somebody then asks you another question to learn more, like, well, how do you do that? Or tell me more. Or, boy, you know, I, I, ha I have a friend with that problem. So you want to just have an additional next step right that's all you're trying to do so you're just trying to inspire that conversation you're not going to get a contract before dessert is served or before you finish the appetizers all right so if you are an introverted mission-driven professional and you are ready to be in a group of other like-minded and like personality professionals you want to network with them share resources and ideas and generally be supported in a community of people who are like you then head over to winnieanderson.com join the group and asked to become part of my courageous community there on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and remember, you deserve all the success you dream of.